John 3, 19 21, Jesus says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have, what they have done has been done in the sight of time. And lastly, John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Amen. Jesus is the light. John's examples of light are often contrasted with darkness. And the word light is used 25 times in the book of John, while the word dark or darkness is used nine times. Jesus' beautiful declaration about himself being the light of the world is rudely interrupted by the Pharisees. It's almost like a no-good-reason objection by that, that strange relative at a wedding. You know, they stand up and say, I object. They have no real reason to, but it's just, he makes it weird. You know, like, we're in the middle of having a good time here, and here you are, messing it up. But they were just a living example of the contrast of what Jesus says defines his followers. And he says this, that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The minds of the Pharisees and their hearts were darkened with little desire to find or seek the light. See, shedding light on the context, the context of when and where Jesus was speaking from will help us as we unpack his claim and discussion with the Pharisees, who challenge his identity and his mission. We also need to reimagine what this display of the light of life to a darkened world looks like as we persevere in following Jesus. Because if we have the light of life in us, then we should be a bunch of lighthouses walking around in the world, just, just showing who Jesus is, right? So first off, we're going to talk about the backdrop of Jesus' claims. Now, this takes place in and around the time of the Festival of Tabernacles. Um, and you know, Jesus, he actually, this is one of the festivals that he doesn't go to um, like, and, and he doesn't go to display anything or to say anything. He kind of goes discreetly at first, and then he starts to to talk a little bit at, at, towards the end, and then you get this kind of this um, this kind of pause in the text uh, from John eight one through eleven, where this is talking about the woman caught in adultery, and there's people who think that maybe that story lands right there, or maybe not. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, just an interesting um, contrast between the two sections. And so some Bibles will have a note in there that says, this wasn't originally you know, like in this place. And, and um, so just note that. It's not something that we go deep into today. But Jesus, he starts off this declaration saying, I am the light of the world picking up from his previous teaching in the temple. And, and so, um, you know, I got a picture of the temple and kind of everything that that would, would have maybe looked like. And, you know, there, there's a lot of um, intricacies to it, but I won't go into that too much today. But Jesus, he is utilizing symbolism from the Festival of Tabernacles where light was an important symbol uh, to be able to talk about himself. 
And, and uh, so during the festival of tabernacles in the evening, they would have, they would have a time where they lit up these uh, pillars and it was really kind of a symbolic gesture and reminder of God and how he was the pillar of fire in the wilderness for, for his people. And, and they had, they, they rose, they kind of put up these booths, these tents, where they would stay in for a couple of days. They're made with some different types of, um, you know, wood. And, and, uh, and so they would gather there and they would have the celebration. And, um, you know, imagine, like, your whole family gets together for a camping trip, but instead of bringing tents, you're like, hey, just use the ob- use what you what you brought, you know, to construct a little um, a little booth, you know, for you to to live in for the next seven days. I don't think that sounded like a lot of fun, but apparently there was a lot of celebrating that happened at this at this festival, and and you know they were reminded of, of who God was, and, and uh, Exodus thirteen uh, twenty through twenty two uh, kind of gives us the um, gives us an explanation of what happened um, for if we want to remember that God came with the, the pillar of cloud and fire. After leaving Sephah, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By the day, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. See, this pillar of fire was a reminder of God's presence, that he wasn't just with them during the day, he wasn't just with them, like, you know, when they were, when they were just kind of, you know, going through the, the, the desert, but he also provided this protection and this warmth that, that was him, his presence. And, and, you know, he, when God calls the Israelites to build up these tabernacles, um, I think that to some, for some, um, to some extent, it was actually a physical foreshadowing of what God actually sent Jesus to do. And this is because, you know, John 1.14 says that Jesus made his dwelling among us. And, and that word, that phrase, made his dwelling among us, some, some uh, say that it gives a picture back into this idea of tabernacle, of, of what, God, um, what God did. He made his physical presence on earth through, when, when, through Moses at the tabernacle, but through Jesus in the flesh, and that God came to us. And, and so Jesus is at this feast of tabernacles, and he applies this symbolism of light to represent and share who he is. Because he wants people to know. Jesus' identity comes with a promise that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. See, Paul describes it like this for us in uh, Colossians 1, 13 14. For he has rescued, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loved in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And what a wonderful truth to be reminded of, that we were all once in darkness, and now we've been brought into this kingdom of the Son who he loves, 
but it's full of life, it's full of this joy, this peace, and the the Holy Spirit going with us. Um, Just like God's presence was with the Israelites, but different because it's in us, it's within us, it's guiding us and giving us um, personal guidance and and counseling and and the ability to to discern uh, how to live and how to walk with God. See, in Numbers 14, God is, Moses reminds the Lord that the nations knew that the Lord went with the Israelites in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now Jesus had shown up and declared himself the light of the world, but God's people were blinded by their own darkness and hardness of heart. See, it's interesting because sometimes we want the spectacular and miraculous to happen so that we can know if God is there. But, you know, the reality is that Jesus did all those things and people still had a hard time seeing and believing. And and so I, I think that one of the things that we can do, you know, is to be reminded of his presence that goes with us. And that and that if nothing spectacular or amazing or miraculous happens in your life, you still have an assurance as a believer that God is with you. See, the Pharisees, again, like I said, they kind of begin their their um they were refuting and challenging Jesus' validity um, in verses 13 through 18. And here's what they have, here's what they have to say. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are bearing your own witness, your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from, came from, and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge me by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself and my my other witness is the Father who sent me. And so Jesus, Jesus is getting these challenges, and he's, and he's facing them because in the Torah, in Deuteronomy 17 and 19, there's a requirement for two witnesses, and specifically men, right? And so, and so Jesus is saying the two witnesses are myself and my Father, God. And, and he goes into saying, like, you know, I'm not judging right now. Like, this is not my primary function right now, and, and this juncture of my mission is to talk about who I am as the Savior. And, and Jesus said, even if, even if I did judge you, right, I'm not going to judge you the way that other humans do. Because my judgment is perfect. My judgment is right. And Jesus' judgments are given in full agreement and authority of the Father who sent him. Right? He is doing and speaking and, 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 and being present where his father wants him to be. So, of course, what do they do? They go after him second time and they're like, well, where is your father? Which, if you didn't know this, in 
in Middle Eastern and Semitic cultures, uh, challenged one's paternity was considered a slur. See, the Pharisees thought that they had some special intelligence of a scandal on Jesus because, you know, word had probably gotten around, like, Mary got pregnant, and how did that all work out? Who's the real dad? You know, all that. And, and Jesus, though, was, knew the circumstances of his miraculous birth. And Jesus was confident in his, in his identity as God's son. Because the reality is that this challenge to who his father was didn't shake him because he had confidence in his identity. Because he was constantly, like we talked about last week, he was going out, right? And he was being alone with God. And he was doing things that helped him to stay close to the Father. And the Pharisees didn't know Jesus because they didn't know the Father. And, and I mean, it's interesting how in other parts of the book of John, there's, a, there's that question of, you know, show us the Father. Or where's the, you know, like, like how do we know that the Father, you know, is at work. And, and, and so Jesus is constantly saying the same thing. He must have been the most, you know, he must have been like a parent who's annoyed at saying the same thing over and over and over again because he's hoping that at some point that he'll actually listen to what he says. But you know what? I, I think that Jesus was a lot more gracious than that. He might have gotten annoyed, but it never seemed to come out that way. I mean, he just, he, he got, he got confrontational back at the people who were, who were confronting him, but because he wanted to proclaim the truth about who he is, right? Because he wanted people to know. See, then they go on to challenge his purpose. And, and Jesus's ministry, I think, was purposely short-term um, because, you know, there's there's this context that I think if it had gone on really long that, like I said, I think that people would have continued to just doubt and not really it, it really see him for who he was. And, and Jesus wanted to help people know who the Father was. But Jesus would dive in this conversation, dive in deeper into the accusation about who his father was, and that his origin was from above, right? That he was from above, and he was further reinforcing um, this claim about his divinity. And, and then Jesus says this thing, you're going to die in your sins. Whew! That must have been a real zinger right there. Like, you are the religious elite of the day, and who's this rabbi from the sticks? I mean, because you know, like, literally Nazareth means the sticks, right? Who's this rabbi from the sticks that comes and says, oh, by the way, you're going to die in your sins. Man. What a uproar. Jesus must have, must have paused among them. And the Pharisees, you know, like, they continue. They continue to probe him about things, you know, like, Oh, well, you know, is he going to kill himself? Is he, you know, who are you? And so we get to this verse on verse 25 to 30, uh, where, where, you know, he's, where they, uh, they ask, who are you? And Jesus, I love Jesus' response. Just what I have been claiming all along. 
I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I will tell the world. They did not understand that Jesus, they did not understand that Jesus was telling them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one who I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I will always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many people put their faith in him. So let's break that down a little bit. He's saying, look, I have been telling you this from the very beginning. And you're just not listening. And, and uh, this is really hard for me because I feel like um, you're always resistant to this message. And he continues to tell them about, his, about the work of the Father, but then they continue to be confused. Right? They're just confused. I'm confused. Well, they didn't know Jesus, so they didn't know the Father. And if you know Jesus, you know the Father. Praise the Lord. See, but Jesus says that his ultimate witness to them is when he would be lifted up. Now, if you're a religious leader listening to this, what are you thinking in your mind? Like, oh, when, when the Son of Man is lifted up, like, what is this guy trying to do? Like, he, you know, has there been previous attempts by other people who claim to be the Messiah, to you know, get a base around them, to to do to to cause problems for the power structure of that day of, of the Romans, and 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 they're they're probably a little bit concerned at this at this moment. But what Jesus means, you know, Jesus was not seeking celebrity status. He was not trying to make himself this all powerful guy. Because guess what? He already was. He didn't make himself, he didn't need to make himself out to be anything because he already was those things. See, Jesus knew that people would continue to reject him. Okay? And when he talked about being lifted up, he's saying that I'm going to go to the cross. And that the journey to the cross will mark my perfect obedience to the Father. And then you'll see it. And and he says you know, that the Father is with me. And he refers to himself as a son of man. And we know that Jesus is the son of man and the son of God. We know that he's fully human and fully God. And what a mystery. You know, I was reading a book the other day, and um, it was really good because, you know, one of the things that, that was said, I'm probably going to misquote it, but is that faith requires for us to believe in and to acknowledge that there's things that we don't fully comprehend. How beautiful is that? That this mystery of God in the flesh, God among us, the word moving, I love how Eugene Peterson talks about it in John's name of the message, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus became one of us. But he was continuing to remind people of his relationship to God the Father. He was continuing to take the hits from the Pharisees about who he was and what he was all about because of his intimacy with the Father. And even though that they constantly doubt, doubted and questioned him. And see, it's interesting because as Jesus was speaking, 
people were free when they came to believe. And I think that that's interesting because you know the Pharisees when they spoke often they they were trying to find who they were counting out. And Jesus spoke in such a way that you know, the people who didn't want him, they weren't going to be interested. They weren't going to come to him. And, and But the people who were open and receptive and who God had placed in their hearts the opportunity and the ability to believe did. I'm just so thankful for you, for you all here, that God prompted you to respond to the gospel. And that God continues to go out and prompt people to believe in his one and only son. And I know that our lives are about that. I know that our church is about that. And I, I believe that the outcome of hearing Jesus' words will cause you to either reject him more or to open your heart to him. And that's where we come today with this idea, this big idea that we need to continue displaying a light that shines in our dark world. And you know, Jesus goes on for quite a few more verses here with the, with the Pharisees. And I'm not going to get into all of them today because that's like 60 verses. So, you know, it's Father's Day. We all want to enjoy this day. Stop doing that. But what I find beautiful, what I find, excuse me, find curious about what Jesus does is that Jesus ends this discourse and as he as he went along, as Jesus went along from this conversation, um, his he's with his disciples, who I'm sure were like pretty like, okay, that was really intense. And they find this man that was born blind. Um, and Jesus' disciples are asking, you know, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You want to follow along? It's in chapter 9. And, and Jesus, you know, he goes on again to proclaim that he's the light of the world. See, he heals that man. And it's interesting because because Jesus doesn't go with him to the pool um, to, to help him uh, wash. And, and so Jesus, he used this healing um, because the Pharisees were going to come around again to investigate. But he used this healing to show how deep the spiritual darkness of the Pharisees was. See, God use this man's healing as a way for his glory to be displayed. See, Jesus, Jesus' answers to whether the man or his parents had sinned because he was born blind, Jesus said neither, this man or his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And I'll just tell you this story. I, I, I think many of you know I used to work as a caregiver with adults with disabilities and uh, with developmental disabilities. And, and I remember one day, of course, being the resident Christian of the whole like place where I where I was doing work, 
had people ask me all the time questions about God. So my coworker asked me one time, she said, Andrew, you're a Christian, right? And I'm like, yep. And, uh, and she says, you know, how, how do you explain the people that we work with? You know, how does, how does that make sense, you know, with, with God and everything? And, and I think I started to understand her question. And, and so I said, you know, I'm not going to give you this huge argument or anything like that. And I said, but I'm going to tell you a story. And, I, and that's where I brought her to, was this story of the man one line. And I said, you know, I see the image of God in every person that we serve and care for. And God uses the people that we that I was working was working with to show me lessons and and things that sitting in a classroom I could have never learned. And I think that Jesus Jesus' healing in our own lives enables us to glorify God. And I don't know what your story is and what your what you need healing from. Maybe it's something physical, maybe it's something emotional, maybe it's something spiritual. But see, the blind man, he was so excited about what had happened to him. And his testimony came at a cost. See, he spoke on Jesus' behalf because of God's redemptive work in his life. And he had this light that shone in him too, like his Jesus had done something different. And and even though he goes through this big investigation and, and gets kicked out of the synagogues, when he finally meets Jesus, when he can see, what does he do? He worships Jesus, even after being outcasted. Friends, we're coming to a time in our in our nation and in the world where, where following Jesus is not going to come with any benefits or thrills. Where people are going to, going to continue to push back and hate God and hate us um, because of who we are. See, Jesus' light in our lives is purifying and that's scary to people who are living in darkness. Because we have this example to shine bright for Jesus and show who he is to others. But trust me, the darkness is trying to put out as much light as possible. And so as we conclude our time together today, I want to remind you that Jesus' followers display the light of life within them to a darkened world. And after Jesus' interaction with the man born blind, he stated um, to the Pharisees, you know, this is where he does come down with the judgment. Um, For judgment I have come in this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So, let's not be like that. Let's not, let's not have this false humility and, and claim that we can, that we can see uh, if there's something that we're, that we're stumbling over. And I, and I hope and pray for all of you that, that the light of the world will shine through you.
so that, so that you won't have any darkness as you seek to follow him. So I just have three um, takeaways today, and, that, and that's this, is that number one, let us come humbly today, asking Jesus to make us aware of any areas of our lives where his light is not shining fully, and surrender that to him. We can confess, we can repent, um, we can even, there may be a need for accountability, and, and that's, that's something that as a church family we want to do for each other, because we want everyone to be walking fully with Jesus. Second is, let us come humbly to Jesus today um, to see if there's any spiritual blindness that is keeping us from experiencing the light of life, from illuminating and purifying our heart. And lastly, let us take time this week to pray and discern how others see the light of Jesus in our lives. Because we want to, I know that we are concerned um, with spreading his light into a spiritually dark, sinful, and wounded world. And I hope that, you know, as we close today, I'm going to close with a prayer, but I hope that what you will get from this is that you will know that Jesus, Jesus' light is not like the light that, uh, you know, your, your, um, you know, your wife or husband comes into the room and turns on the light in, in the morning to wake you up, like that mean light, that piercing light. Jesus' light, I think, is full of love and grace. And yeah, it, it burns a little bit on the edges and the places in our lives that need to be continued to uh, have, have a pure, be, be purified and to come in repentance to him. Under, but I think that Jesus' light is loving. It's it's a light that um, that we should respond to now, because we don't want to live in the light of His judgment when He comes again, and He will come again, my friends. And I'm so thankful for that, because He will wipe away all the darkness. And I love that in the end of in Revelation, that God Himself will be their light. There'll be no need for sin. You know, God is perfectly that. And that we can look forward to that day together. So as we close, I want to I want to say a prayer um, for fathers, uh, specifically, and then a prayer for all of us. But I found this online and I just thought it was a really great thing. So if you'll join me. Lord, we uplift and dedicate all fathers and their families unto your loving care. May you be the Lord and King in every home. May your love and your word bind all families. May faith, hope, and love reign in every home. Lord, may fathers not rely on their own understanding, but humbly seek your wisdom and guidance to lead them in their roles as head of their family. May each family member give what is due to all dads, love, honor, gratitude, and respect. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, we also commit to you this service, this time of worship, this time of fellowship together. And God, I just pray that we can do um, everything to walk in the light as you are in the light. Lord, that we would love you and that we would display that love to others. 
not, a, not to be lifted up in some sort of celebrated fashion, but God, to be lifted up as a sacrifice of worship to you. And Lord, if it costs us things in our lives, help us to count that cost and to have your strength to persevere. And I just thank you for all the things that you're doing in our church and in our lives. And bless us as we go out this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I don't have a final song for you guys today, but I am really thankful that you're here and uh, look forward to uh, spending some time with you before we all go to celebrate coffee.